your voice and tell him how worthy you believe he is. Praise the Lord. So good to see each and every one of you here in the house of the Lord on a Wednesday night, ready to dig into the word of the Lord and allow the Lord to continue to help us to see more and to understand more, to grab a hold of more so that our lives bring him more glory. I, before we dive in, I did get a chance to speak to Pastor Landtrude yesterday and he is so looking forward to being with us in service this Sunday. And we're looking forward to him being here. God bless you. You can be seated. Tonight we are going to continue in our series titled The Bread of Life. Uh, tonight we'll be talking. Uh, the, the title of our lesson tonight is Walking on Water walking on water we're going to take our text tonight from John chapter 6 John chapter number 6 we'll read just a few verses of scripture here to set the background We'll identify the truth about God we're discussing tonight as well as the truth for our personal lives that we're trying to grab a hold of tonight. John chapter 6, verse number 16. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. Verse 18, and the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. Somebody said, it's a storm. So when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30 furlongs, so 25 or 30 furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. Now, this same event is uh, recounted in Matthew chapter 14 verses 22 through 33 and Mark chapter 6 verses 47 through 51 and there's some different details in each account but here they basically think it's a ghost coming to them on the water and so they're terrified they're in a storm that's you know pretty bad but then they think there's a ghost walking on the water toward them and they really get scared verse 20 but he Jesus saith unto them it is I be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. So this is the text we're going to be speaking from tonight and looking into. The truth that we're drawing out of this is that God is greater than the storms of life. How many have found that to be true? Being a, a believer doesn't mean you never experience a storm. But what it does is give you peace even in the midst of a storm because our God is greater than the storms in life. And so how I'm going to apply that truth about God to my life is that I will seek God to be with me at all times. 
in the good times and in the scary times, in the happy times as well as in the times of sorrow or tragedy. I'm going to seek God to be with me. Why don't we pray tonight? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's here for us to dig into and to study, and it teaches us the infinite wisdom of our God, the things that you have revealed to us so that we can best live a life that is joyful and peaceful, a life in which we find constant comfort through your companionship, through relationship with you. Lord, we ask tonight that you would open our understanding even further, strengthen our faith even more, let our trust grow ever deeper. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Shipwrecks form the stuff of legend. One of the most well-known and researched shipwrecks came from the largest cargo ship in the Great Lakes, the Edmund Fitzgerald. For 13 years, it was the largest ship on the Great Lakes. Some photos make it appear to be two ships, but it was just one. The Edmund Fitzgerald was an all-star. This particular ship and its crew made 748 round trips in its storied 17-year career. Its purpose, it was built to haul iron ore from Wisconsin to Detroit. But something happened on November 10th, 1975 that even the experts cannot explain. And I'll have to take their word for it because that was before my time. I'm not going to say how much before my time, but it was before my time. But on this day, November 10th, 1975, Lake Superior turned from friend to foe and turned on the Edmund Fitzgerald. Hurricane force winds beat up the nearly 30,000 ton freighter. The churning waves tossed it around like a ball in a pinball machine. Captain McSorley radioed for help to a nearby freighter saying, I have a bad list. I have lost both radars. They were only 17 miles from the shore when this storm took over. On a calm day, they could have made that journey in about an hour's time, but this day was not a calm day. This day, the lake not only appeared angry, it appeared outright furious. And by the end of the day, Lake Superior had claimed the lives of all 29 crew members and the largest ship on the Great Lakes. The shipwreck was storied. It inspired Gordon Lightfoot's song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Shipwrecks form the stuff of legend because even the most experienced seafaring sailors can find themselves quickly in grave danger and sadly in the grave when the waters turn angry and turn on a ship in the middle of the water. The Great Lakes turned on the Edmund Fitzgerald much like the Sea of Galilee turned on the disciples in our text tonight. The disciples had just come to the end of another wonderful, wonder-filled day. This is at the end of the day when Jesus had fed a city with a Lunchable, which Pastor Ogden talked about last week. And in that, he uh, mentioned that the crowd that day, uh, when Jesus fed that whole multitude of an estimated 15,000 men, women, and children, if not more, when he fed them basically with a bag lunch. After that, that crowd was so eager to be free and liberated from 
Roman government, that, and they were so eager to see the Messiah step on the scene, and they just knew after that miracle that Jesus was the king they were waiting for. Surely, if he could feed 15,000 people with the bag lunch, he could overturn the Roman government and free the Jewish people. But Jesus, knowing and feeling the intensity of their intentions, slipped out of the crowd and escaped to a mountain before they could crown him king. And as he headed to the mountain, he sent his disciples into a boat to sail to the other side of the sea toward Capernaum. He would meet up with them later. And as they sailed, he prayed. The sun was setting, moonbeams were falling all across the landscape. The night was perfect for another calm cruise across the sea. Some of the disciples knew about cruises. A handful had been fishermen. They were rowing along with not much care or concern. They were already in the middle of the sea, roughly halfway to the other side. Maybe they would snack on the leftovers in the baskets they'd brought from the mountainside miracle before it was lanterns out for the night. But then, without warning, they found themselves in the middle of this relatively small fishing boat in the middle of the sea, in the middle of what felt like a hurricane. In a matter of seconds, they went from a calm, moonlight cruise to absolutely rowing for their lives. But this was not their first time experiencing danger on the water. And as the wind pushed and the sea churned, they thought back to the last time they had been in a situation like this. They questioned in their mind, what did we do last time we were in this situation? What was it? And then they remembered, oh, that's right. Let's wake Jesus up. He'll stand up, he'll speak up, and the storm will calm down. He did it before. He'll do it again. But this time was not like last time. This time Jesus was not asleep in the back of the boat. In fact, he wasn't in the boat at all. Jesus was back on the shore. And as you and I live for God, we will discover that God is not as formulaic as we would sometimes like. He doesn't do everything the same way every time. And that's okay. It reminds us that he's God and we're not. And he knows what he's doing even when we don't. I mean, if you've been living for God very long, have you ever had a situation in which you were so desperate for an answer and you so desperately desired that God would answer that prayer exactly as you prayed it, but he did not? How do you deal with the discouragement when that happens? What's your response when you feel like maybe God wasn't listening or he didn't answer it the way you wanted him to answer? Does it cause you to doubt him? Does it cause you to doubt his love for you? Or do you still say, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. I know you see something I can't see, and so I still trust you. And that's the attitude we should have. But sometimes in that moment, our faith gets a little weak and we get a little frustrated and we experience disappointment, but that doesn't change who God is and it doesn't change how much he loves us. God doesn't answer our prayers the same way every time. 
Sometimes we pray for healing for ourselves or for someone else, and God immediately, miraculously heals. At other times, we pray for healing, and we watch God miraculously give grace to live through the sickness. When God answers a prayer for someone down the road from us, but he doesn't answer our prayer like we hope, God is still God, and God is still good. He doesn't love us less and love the other person more. I mean, if that was the case, what would our opinion of God's love for Paul be? I mean, here, Paul, who started more churches, did more missions trips than any other uh, New Testament apostle, who wrote more letters than any other New Testament apostle, who wrote almost half of the entire New Testament, two-thirds of all the letters written to believers, what would we think of his love for Paul? I mean, Paul suffered shipwreck. You think Paul didn't pray? You know, hey, could you calm the storm? Paul suffered being beaten and whipped. Do you think he didn't have a prayer in one of those moments for, uh, you know, like Peter, could you send an angel and get me out of this situation, just lead me right through the crowd and I don't have to go through this? Paul even talks about in one place references that he had trouble with his eyes, the health of his eyes, because he mentions to uh, the Corinthians, you would have literally plucked your eyes out and given given them to me if you could have. So Paul had troubles as well. Do we think God didn't love Paul? Of course not. We know God loved Paul. God used Paul mightily. And so... If God doesn't answer our prayer or doesn't answer every prayer the way that we would like to see him answer it, that doesn't mean he doesn't love us as much or he loves somebody else more. Because I promise you, there's times others are looking at you and there's a prayer they prayed about that you don't know about. But they saw God answer a prayer for you and he didn't answer that one for them and they're thinking the same way. He must love them more than he loves me. And so we can't get caught up in that trap. We can't fall for that snare. Because God's love for us never changes. Again, we are the apple of his eye. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are his image bearers. He loves us. How much? He loves us so much that when we were absolute rotten sinners, which we all have been, he died for us. Not because we were such great, awesome people and we were so perfect and, man, they're easy to love. Let me do something good for them. No, he's like, man, they are a bunch of knuckleheads. They're so stubborn and stiff-necked and rebellious. They got all these attitudes. They're full of fear. They're so just filthy in sin. But I love them. And I'm going to offer myself for them. That's how much he loves us. And so even when our prayers don't get answered the exact way we had hoped for, We can trust in God's love. I'm sure the disciples thought that this time on the Sea of Galilee would have been a great time for an encore of the miracle that took place in Mark 4. But Jesus was a few furlongs away from them on the mountain. And as the disciples feverishly worked to survive, they were getting nowhere. The experienced fishermen among them were nervous. The inexperienced tax collector was really nervous. That'd have been me. I don't have a lot of experience out on boats and on ships, so storm comes up, you can best believe I'm going to be nervous. Y'all going to be bailing water by yourself because I'm going to be praying. <laughs> Holding on for dear life, eyes closed, pleading. <laughs> Help! 
And it seemed for the disciples like for every bucket of water they built out of the boat, the sky opened up and the waves crashed down and two or three more buckets just poured into the boat. So try as they might, they just could not get ahead in this storm. They were in the unforgiving hands of a hurricane, rowing this small fishing boat for all they were worth. But one thing we see particularly in Mark's account of this event, is that although Jesus was not with them in the boat, he was watching them. Mark's gospel records one of the most reassuring passages in all the word of God. It's a passage we need to read and remember, and we find it in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, where it reads, He, referring to Jesus, saw them toiling in rowing. When the disciples could not see Jesus, he still saw them. We need to let that sink in. We need to write that with a permanent chisel tip sharpie on our souls. When they could not see Jesus, Jesus still saw them. He saw them when they were calmly cruising along on the Sea of Galilee, and he saw them when they were fighting for their lives in the middle of a storm. It would have made for a great story if Jesus had come walking on the calm waters when they were still as glass. The disciples could have applauded, slapped each other on the back, said, wow, he's really something. He walks on water. But Jesus came walking above the water when it looked like the water was about to take the disciples under. Storms on the Sea of Galilee birth in a moment. They come with surprise when the cold weather from the mountains Mixes with the warm weather from the water. They form squalls that have claimed the lives of even the most seasoned sailors because many of the storms stir without warning. I'm sure it'd be wonderful. All those sailors who have been on the Sea of Galilee, I'm sure they thought it'd be so nice if there was an alarm that would sound. You know, like they say when a tornado is coming, it sounds like a freight train coming. It'd be nice if there was some kind of sound that would happen and we knew a storm was coming and it'd give us a little time, kind of like a check engine light on a car. Man, it'd be nice if the storm had a check engine light to let me know something bad is about to happen. We'd have fair warning before the squall of life hits and tosses our boats if life storms came with a check engine light. We could even get out of the boat and get to shore, but life doesn't always come with a warning. Life's storms are much like Galilee's storms. They strike without warning. Car accidents claim our loved ones without warning. Health problems arise without warning. Job loss and layoffs claim our security without warning. But even when life surprises us and tosses us around, it does not surprise Jesus. He knows exactly what will happen and when. He's never been taken by surprise. Just as he saw the disciples, he sees us. And we should follow the disciples' lead and look for Jesus in our storm. When the winds pound and the rain sting, we should look to Jesus. When things come seemingly out of nowhere and try to rob us of our peace, rob us of all of our joy, We should look to Jesus. Rather than getting so fixated on the storm, if we can again turn our eyes to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, 
That's where we're going to find strength. That's where we're going to find the courage to face the storm. As the disciples wrestled to steer their boat to safety, they saw a silhouette of a man walking on the waves. That's truly something you don't see every day. People don't walk on water. And again, I mentioned it earlier, this silhouette must be a ghost is what they were thinking. So just when they thought the end of their life could not get any worse, we were literally about to die in a storm, can't get any worse than this, here came a ghost to haunt them. And so life just got worse. Have you ever been in a situation where you're just like, man, it can't get any worse. All the bad stuff's been happening, can't get any worse, and then something else happens, you're like, I should have kept my mouth shut. Life just proved me wrong. Life was like, oh, you think so? (laughs) Here you go. Here's another little problem to deal with. Here's another heartache. Here's another disappointment. And the funny thing in this story is they literally were more afraid of the water-walking silhouette than they were of the storm. They had been so scared of the storm until they saw this, and then all of a sudden, they really weren't thinking about the storm much at that moment. (laughs) They were scared, senseless. They cried out, and then they were surprised when they heard the voice of Jesus answer, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. I mean, imagine yourself in the shoes of the disciples in that boat in the middle of a storm, wind blowing, howling, waves, you know, three times the height of your boat, just crashing, scary. And then you see some figure coming, walking on the water. How would you have responded? What would you have been thinking? Again, that wasn't something anybody had ever seen before. It's not like they had heard stories about this when they were growing up. And so I believe I'd have felt much the same. Hold on. I'll take the storm. That thing needs, they probably thought it was death coming to get them. Death comes walking on the water. But it was actually life coming walking on the water. When Jesus showed up shipside, he calmed their fears that he was a ghost. And I'm sure they were like, that was a close one. I thought for sure we were goners. And in this moment, he pulled back the veil even further than he had pulled it back in previous encounters with his disciples. And he revealed to them here that he was the I Am. The King James Version reads, It is I, be not afraid. But the true translation from the Greek is abundantly more powerful than those words. Jesus was not just telling them, read the name tag, boys. It's me, Jesus. That's not what he was doing. The truest translation reads, I am, be not afraid. Jesus made in this moment the highest divine claim he could make. He did not just come from God, but he was God who came in flesh. Jesus in this moment identified him as the God of the Old Testament who introduced himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, 14 as I am. When they ask who sent you, tell them I am sent you. This would uh, be very similar. We very often use the word Jehovah. So when you're reading the Old Testament and you see all the way through Old and New, you see the uh, word Lord with all caps that is a reference to this name of I am. And we very often translate that Yahweh or even more often Jehovah. And so this uh, Jesus saying, I am, would be very similar to saying, I'm Jehovah, Jehovah. And this is the same Jehovah Jireh who provided a ram for Abraham to sacrifice. The Jehovah Rapha who healed the Israelites of their deadly 
diseases, the Jehovah Nisi who fought for Israel against their enemies, the Jehovah Shalom who gave Gideon peace when he faced over 120,000 ruthless, relentless soldiers, the Jehovah Sabbat who stands at the helm of all of heaven's armies, the Jehovah Ra who shepherds his sheep to safety. That Jehovah was standing in the wind on the waves that threatened their very lives. This statement Jesus made in Matthew 14, Mark 6, John 6, the parallel passages of this encounter is one of the fullest revelations of Jesus' identity to his disciples and to us. Jesus is I am. The disciples followed Jesus long enough to know each of those aforementioned stories that I just went through where God had revealed himself to his people in a new way in the circumstances they found themselves in, in the situation they had found themselves. And the disciples knew that if he could do that for others, he could certainly calm the storm they found themselves in. So we never, never, never should lose sight of who Jesus really is. He's not just a baby in a manger at Christmas. He's not just a crucified Savior on the center cross at Passover. Jesus is, I am. We have a video tonight. You guys will go ahead and play that. In Exodus 3.14, God told Moses, I am who I am. In Hebrew, that's Yah Asher Yah. And that means I'm the God of all potentials. If you need a, a deliverer from Egypt, I'm your God. If you need a, a savior, you'll find that in me. Now, when the Old Testament was translated into the common Greek language, that phrase from the Hebrew was translated Ego emi. Now, emi already means I am in Greek, but by adding the word ego, it means I, I am, and it's a special way to emphasize who God is. In the New Testament, Jesus used this verb in a special way. He said, uh, before Abraham was, I am. He was making a claim that he was in fact the God of the Old Testament. In the book of John, seven times, Jesus claims, ego me, I am. Now, all the gospels record similar instances of this usage. Now, in our narrative, where Jesus walks on the water in Mark, in Mark chapter six, verse 50, he makes three claims. First, he says, be of good cheer. And that means, take courage. Secondly, he says, ego me. In other words, I'm the I am. And for that reason, he makes the third claim, that proclamation, do not be afraid. Because we know Jesus, the very I am of the Old Testament, we too can live with courage and we do not have to fear regardless of the storm because he is our I am and we can trust in him. Amen. And what we see through all of those Old Testament stories when God reveals himself in a new way to his people based in their situations, the Jehovah Jireh, the Jehovah Rapha, the Jehovah Nis, what that was was I am what you need right now. And so it doesn't matter what we find ourselves facing in life. It doesn't matter the situation, the circumstances, the report we've heard. What matters is the report we believe, which is we serve the I am what I need right now. 
he's whatever I need. If I need peace, he's peace. If I need joy, he's joy. If I need healing, he's healing. If I need salvation, he is the Savior. If I need deliverance from addiction, he is the deliverer. And so he is that I am. When we couple Matthew's account of the story from our text that we read in John, we have a more complete picture of what happened on that stormy sea of Galilee. I'd encourage you to read all three accounts, Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, and John chapter 6, again, because they contain different details. But it was in Matthew chapter 14 where when this event took place, Peter couldn't believe what he was seeing. And so when Peter realized Jesus was the one that was out there walking on the water in the middle of a storm, and Jesus was, I am, he asked Jesus to bid him to go out on the water with him. So Jesus said, come. <laughs> no, fan, no, no explanation, no, well, this is how you do it, Peter. He just said, all right, come on. And so Peter threw one leg over the boat, and then he threw the other leg over the boat, kind of sitting on the side rail there. And at this point, it was time to hold on or let go. It's do or die. And it was the die part that scared Peter, I'm sure. And so Peter gradually lowered himself down till his feet were kind of on the water. He was like testing a little bit. Is it trying to hold himself up and put just enough weight to see if he was going to be able to stand out there? Eventually, Peter lets go of the boat and begins to walk on the water. And he and Jesus are the only two people ever to use the sea for a sidewalk, especially in a storm. Maybe the thunder clapped as Jesus was walking over toward Jesus. Maybe it was the lightning that lit up the sky, but something caught Peter's attention. He looked away from Jesus long enough to look around and be reminded of what's going on around him, and suddenly he begins to fear. Suddenly he begins to fret, and suddenly he begins to sink. But Jesus reached out and saved him. Then, when both Peter and Jesus entered into the boat, the storm calmed. And once again, Jesus demonstrated by walking on the sea and by calming the churning sea that he commands power over nature, even the wind and the waves obey him. I mentioned it earlier. This story would be fascinating enough if while they were cruising along on that calm sea, the water still as glass, Jesus had come walking on the water. That would have been a really amazing story. But what's particularly wonderful is that he didn't come when the sea was calm. He came in the storm. He came walking on the very thing that had them fearful. He came walking on the very thing that had them feeling so threatened. Anxiety taking hold, worry gripping their hearts, and Jesus is walking on that, that problem, that enemy in the moment, and Jesus is just walking right on top of it. Jesus walks on what worries us. Jesus walks on the things that cause us to fear. Situation arises, tries to rob our peace, Jesus walks above that. The doctor's diagnosis, he's above that. The unexpected bill, we don't know how we're going to pay, he's above that. The fear of being forgotten or left out, not belonging, 
Jesus has power over all of these things that try to grab a hold of our hearts and mind. These things that try to pull us under. Jesus walks above because he has power over them all. No doubt, precious people in our families and our church family hear the howling wind and feel the stinging rains and the crashing waves, and we wonder how long we can bail water and stay afloat. John gives us good news. He tells us the I am is here. Whatever you need right now, I'm here. Whatever you're facing, I'm here. I saw you when it was easy. I saw you when you were cruising. I also saw you when the storm came. I saw you when you were scared. You weren't alone. Here I was, walking right beside you. He always has the power to calm the storm. There's not a storm that can arise in our life. There's not a situation we can face that he couldn't calm that storm. He couldn't just instantaneously turn it around. But even if he doesn't calm the storm, he'll be with us in the storm and he'll calm us. And that's just as important to allow him that even when we're facing those situations, he can speak peace into our hearts. And while we're going through it, we're not fearful. We're not troubled. We're not allowing the circumstances to become a barrier between us and God. But we allow him to speak that peace and to calm us as we go through the storm. When we really realize whom we're serving, we'll fret less and trust more. Because Jesus is, I am. He's the almighty God. So he has the power to do anything. But he's not just the almighty God. He's the all-knowing God. You can't go anywhere where he doesn't see you. You can't face anything that he's taken by surprise. He's the all-wise God. He knows what's the best for us. And even when we go through things, we're like, man, I just don't know why God made me have to endure it. I'm, I'm thankful he gave me strength to get through it, but I don't even understand why he made me go through it in the first place. He's all wise. He works all things together for good, and we don't always understand why or how that's going to come about, but he does, and it's because he's all wise. We want just the all-powerful sometimes. Okay, I've got this problem. I want you to just send the all-powerful part of you down here, and I don't want to trust the all-wise part of you. But true trust is leaning on that all-wise God. And saying, even if you don't calm the storm, I know you'll be with me through it. And even if I don't understand why I'm going through it, I know that it's your wisdom that's taking me through it. There's something you're working in my life that is for my good. And no matter what we face, he's always still with us. And so if you think back over your life and your walk with God so far, can you identify that greatest storm that you faced when you absolutely 100%, no doubt about it, when you were in that storm and you called on God, you felt him literally calm you. Again, I'm not talking about him calming the storm. Is there an experience where you just know he stepped in and calmed you? And even though the situation didn't immediately change, your attitude toward it did. And you were no longer fearful, but you had the peace that passes understanding. See, it's not peace that passes understanding if the storm got calmed. That's easy to have peace when the storm gets calmed down. But when the storm's still raging and you have peace, that's what others can't comprehend. How can you have peace? How can you be calm when all this bad stuff's going on, when all this tragedy's taking place, all this heartache, all this disappointment, all this loss, possibly of a job or of finances, loss of health, loss of a loved one, whatever it could be, 
When you're in that and you still have peace, that just, that's the peace that passes under. That's the peace people can't grab a hold of. That's the peace that they need the most. That's the peace that opens the door for us to introduce them to the Prince of Peace that gives that kind of peace. To introduce them to the I Am. One newly minted 31-year-old man woke to a delicious birthday breakfast his family had prepared for him. A few minutes later, his mother called to say she and his dad would not be able to make the birthday party because his dad had had a rough night's sleep. That was all right, he thought. He went back to eating the birthday omelet, drinking the orange juice. About 20 minutes later, his mother called back. This time, she was hysterical. This time, she's sobbing. And all he can understand her saying is, he's gone. He's gone. Your dad is gone. He was gone at 55 years of age. The young man rushes out of the house, runs toward his car, dialing 911, speeds toward his parents' house. When he arrived, he expected to see an ambulance, possibly the police. Instead, he only saw his mom's car and his dad's van in the driveway. First responders had yet to respond. He and his mom worked to pull his dad out of the recliner and onto the floor. With the help of a dispatcher on the phone, the young man administered CPR, but he had no success. A few minutes later, he finally heard the sirens of the ambulance, but it was too late. His dad was indeed gone. It was a Sunday morning, and his family were reeling from this sudden death that struck without warning. They couldn't make it to their morning service with their church family because they were busy reaching out to friends and family members notifying them. They were busy trying to reach out to the local funeral home, set up an appointment to come and begin making the necessary arrangements. But that same night, he and his family made their way to church because this young man knew he needed Jesus and he needed his church. The church family surrounded him and his family and prayed with them. No doubt, those days were difficult, but they would have felt impossible without the presence of God in a praying church. On that dark day and the dark days that followed, the young man looked for Jesus in the storm, and he found him. He was standing right there on the very waves that worried and threatened him. So when we find ourselves in life's storms, don't run from Jesus. Don't shake your fist in his face. Just look for him. He'll be right there. Look to him. Lean on him. He will hold you. He will uphold you when you feel like life's trying to pull you under. Simply slip your hand in his and trust that he knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you need to get you through the storm. Would you stand with me? And let's pray. And just thank the Lord for his faithfulness and ask him to always help us to look for him, to him, and lean on him. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for this beautiful example from the word of God that shows us that no matter what we face, you're present, you see us, even if we don't see you. Even when it feels to us like you're distant, you're not looking, we know from the word of God that you are always watching us. There's nothing that slips by you. There's nothing that takes you by surprise. So, Lord, we thank you 
that you are that faithful. You're that kind of a faithful God. You are that kind of a trustworthy God that no matter what we face, no matter what we may endure in this life, you are ever present. You are that present help in time of trouble. And if you choose not to calm the storm, we can rest assured that you can calm us in the storm. Help us to look for you. Help us to look to you. Help us to lean on you. So that as we go through life's storms, our response, our attitude, our faith will bring you great glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you again for being here.